Hi everybody, welcome to Agitator. I said that weird. Hi everybody. Hi everybody. Hi. Hi. Hi everybody. <laughs> welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne. What's your name, sir? My name is Takashi Mike. Very good. <laughs> oh, Mr. Mike, we're so we're honored to have you on the show today, sir, to talk about uh, your classic 1998 film, Blues Harp. Um, that we watched I actually did not enjoy this uh, this movie. This is one of my worst movies. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible one to bring me on for. I, I actually, I agree with you, sir. I think that, you know, six episodes in it, it's actually appropriate to talk about the ones that aren't quite uh, as great as some of the other ones. Because we've covered some of the, probably the most well-known and kind of most widely appreciated ones. Like Itchy the Killer and Visitor Q. We still have yet to do audition. I think that's the one we should ask Jack on for is audition because that's the I most. I think so. That's the most misogynistic one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I, what did you? Uh, oh, actually, you know what? Before we get into that, got a l- little personal news. So I woke up this morning. I'm at my in-laws' house in the country, and my father-in-law says, "Hey, come, come, check this out." I say, "Okay." And then we go into the kitchen, and there's just, like, this pile of, of blood on the kitchen floor. Like, blood and chunks and shit. I'm like, well, damn. What do you think that is, right? And so he has a dog, and I have a dog. And so we checked our dogs for for wounds to see if they were, like, fighting or whatever. Because there's just blood all over the place. And then I was like, well, he told me that there were some rib bones left in the backyard. And Kalua will just eat that shit. Like, she won't just chew on the bones. She'll eat the bones. It'll, like, tear her stomach up. So, oh, no. yeah, I'm hoping that's not what it is. But, I mean, honestly, the, she seems fine. I know most people would be like, oh, my God, rush to the vet. But I don't know where the blood has even come from. I mean, they could have gotten an animal, right? And just, like, torn that shit up and left bloody chunks all over the place. So... I don't know, man. What would you do? I don't know. Phantom blood is just kind of a, an occurrence around here. You know, you got you you grab sharp objects sometimes. You uh, eat Taco Bell sometimes, and uh, you know sometimes it's just random blood. Yeah, and my uh, thought process is all, all uh, like I love my dog very much. You know, I've had her for fourteen years since she was a little puppy, but I've also had her for fourteen years. So I've been kind of, like, trying to mentally prepare myself for her dying. Because it's going to happen, you know? I mean, she's just, she's an old dog. That's that's kind of what happens. So, you know, I'm trying not to freak out about every little thing. And we'll just kind of see where it goes. I mean, by the time we record the next episode, we'll we'll know if it was something serious or not. But I just don't, I don't know where the blood came from. So without knowing that, I'd... unless the dog starts acting weird (laughs) then I don't really know yeah I was just behavior is your biggest uh, that's your biggest tell Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise like I mean you're in the country it could have could have very well come from something else some other animal yeah yeah uh, because I could see like their dog is two and she's like some kind of weird wild mutt mix like looks like a coyote or something 
and she's always chasing birds and squirrels and all kinds of shit. So if if she caught a mouse, I mean, she would have definitely torn that shit up. And it's just mm-hmm. weird because there's like there's blood, and then there was like drips into the living room, and then more blood. And yeah, I don't know. I was trying to play a detective this morning, figure out where all the blood was coming from, but uh, we'll find out. We'll find out. You're playing a David Lynch detective now because nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah, nobody knows where the blood came from. But, uh, yeah, you got any personal news? I feel like we spent so long last episode talking about all that that bullshit. And I feel like this episode, I don't really have all that much to talk about. Besides... Yeah. Um, Well, there's been noises in my attic... That for the longest time I was thinking uh, I was the only one hearing. Well, I was literally the only one hearing it. So I thought, am I hearing things? Um, But Erica finally heard it the other morning. And Mm -hmm. it's this weird scratching. I don't understand it because I've been up there and didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. And it's this scratching against the drywall. Mm -hmm. And... uh, there's no entrance that I can tell around the house. I'll probably have to get up on the roof and check the like yeah. integrity of like around, like you know all the shingles and the awnings and shit. But I don't know. It, and I'm just thinking of something big enough to like. It sounds like something big. Like I thought a a, a baby coon or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm just like, how is it surviving up there if it can't get in and out? But yeah, that's oh. that's weird. Yeah, it's mo- most likely an animal, but my first thought would be ghost for sure. I'd be like, yeah, there's yeah. there's there's some fuck shit going on up there. I'm not going up there. Um, and if it is, we're both here in it now, so at least you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least it's not one of those ghosts that's just particularly there to drive you crazy, which also exists. You know, those kind of ghosts are real too. Um, that's one of the funny thing about ghost hunters and science and trying to prove that ghosts are real it's like i don't really think that you can i think once you bring instrumentation into it and try to you know get the levels and everything like i was listening to this podcast about a haunted house man i can't remember what the name of it was but it was a house where a whole family was murdered in like the 1800s this is back when there was nobody around for miles and miles or something like that Mm -hmm. right and it's a big tourist attraction now and, uh, you know, the guy who's the caretaker of it, he basically lets, you know, for a fee, he lets ghost hunters and stuff stay overnight. And some of them will show up and get wild-ass readings on, on ghosts. Others will get nothing. And one guy actually, like, did a ritual while he was there where he lay in bed with, a, I guess, like, a, a knife, which was the the murder weapon no an axe was the murder weapon but i think he had a knife and he was like yelling out to the ghost to like come out and face him or whatever he he told the ghost let let me axe you something (laughs) and uh so he said that he saw the closet door open and a light come out of it and this fool like stabbed himself in the shoulder right so and he couldn't remember shit they had to rush him to the hospital. So when stuff like that happens, I mean, you have to wonder, 
I mean, I don't know that guy's name. He's certainly not famous because he stabbed himself in the arm. But you have to wonder why somebody would do that to themselves if they're just, like, trying to make a really good story. But it's, you know, it's not inconceivable that somebody would do that, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah, with the ghost hunting shit, I'm always, like, I'm fully on board. This is another one of the arenas where, um... I'm a man without a country, which is pretty much just everywhere I turn. But, because, yeah, they start bringing out the instruments and stuff and talking about this is that. And when you start speaking in absolutes, it's great to be assertive uh, from your own standpoint. But when you try to um, tell other people, like, how shit is, it's like, bro, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. And especially when you pull out the instruments, it's like, well, hold on. I said I believe in ghosts. I do mm. not believe... <clears throat> I do not believe in science, bro. Yeah. You, Sci- can, you can put that shit away. <laughs> science is fake. Ghosts are real. I like it. I like it. Man, I have a great view of the of Mount Scott here, outside of Lawton, Oklahoma. It's the town that I grew up in. Uh, my in-law has moved into this new house. Um, they were able to use some kind of GI bill or something to put a down payment onto it anyway it's a pretty decent little house um but it's right on the on the lake and uh it's got, i've just got this inc- i'll take a picture of it to put up with the episode i got this incredible view of the mount the mountain here which is the highest point in oklahoma which technically isn't it still isn't a mountain it's like something like a hundred feet shy of being a literal mountain but it looks fucking dope and this is like the advantage of living in the country in Oklahoma in a town that nobody's ever heard of outside of the city limits of that town is that you can get a place like this for what you would buy like in LA I don't even know if you can buy a house period in Los Angeles for what they bought this place for you know what I mean like it's just I don't know it's a good deal it's a good deal holy shit big ass fucking wasp bro Uh, oh <laughs> no, I just I was just playing. I was just playing. That was a, just a joke. I wasn't really scared. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. man. Are you one? Like, what is your uh, what's your relationship with wasps? With wasps, uh, man. You know, actually, to be honest, I. So I was out talking to my neighbor the other day, and he brought me barbecue. We were just kind of talking. He was telling me about how Jesus is king and stuff. And uh, there was wasps flying around, you know, kind of like flying around Gus and stuff, and we were just swatting them away. Um, I don't know. It depends on when you catch me. This is the problem with absolutes. This goes back to the ghost thing, too. You know, it's like every <laughs> every situation is is different. It depends on your particular mood at that particular time. How much caffeine have I had? What kind of mood am I in? Did I wake up at 6 o'clock this morning? and get, you know, see a murder scene in the kitchen? Uh, am I, you know, doing in the middle of doing a podcast with my friend Kelby? You see what I mean? Like, that's the tricky thing about, like, catching a ghost or how you feel about wasps or whatever, is that it's all relational and it's all imminent in the moment. You know what I mean? Definitely depends on your, uh, on, on the which company you're in, yeah, for sure. Because you know, if you're if you're around ghosts or wasps with me, you don't want to be a bitch and be like, "Oh no, a wasp!" 
a wasp ghost. It's a good thing I didn't do that. So we're good, you know. We're, yeah, we're all, we're all yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Blues Harp 1998. It's available on YouTube, the same as Agitator is. I'll put the link in the show notes for people who are interested. This one is uh, better visual quality than agitator was um it seems like it's pretty much just a dvd rip with the you know the 360p corruption of youtube layered onto it but uh yeah no i finished this one and i texted you i was like you know it's actually a little refreshing to see a non-banger mike film you know like one that's just kind of okay yeah, yeah, it, it's it makes it sort of mixes up the uh, the experience of going through someone's catalog when it's just like man, time for another banger, time for another banger, time for like you, I don't like knowing what I'm gonna get really. Mm-hmm. Like in ter- in terms of style, like I know what a Mike film is basic, what it's gonna have at least a little bit of, if not an extreme amount of you know certain themes of family certain dressing up like a yakuza certain settings is probably going to be in shinjuku and Mm -hmm. just different shit like that but i I don't like knowing that this is going to be a masterpiece or you know because I don't know what's the fun in that and and there's you can't just be climaxing all the time you know yeah (laughs) yeah if you're climaxing all the time then a climax doesn't really mean anything uh this movie is interesting you mentioned shinjuku because this one actually takes place outside of yokohama uh at a u.s air force base and there are some interesting things i think that mike is doing with this movie particularly with regard to japanese people's relationship to foreigners there's american foreigners um there are chinese for as as usual right it's kind of miike's bugbear right it's chinese people um (laughs) he does not like the chinese he doesn't seem to care for the chinese very much um although you know that's maybe a little bit too far of a stretch you know what i mean like maybe maybe we it's he's just like reflecting japanese attitudes towards Chinese people. However, you want to That's put true. this academically, we could just say he doesn't like Chinese people. That's fine. There's I'm like, just going to go on record as Takashi Miike. I do not like the Chinese people. <laughs> Good to know, sir. Okay, excellent. So we can we can list that down. He's sinophobic. Um, but since before it was cool. <laughs> since, yeah, exactly. <laughs> since before they ruled the world. Um, not for real, though. Chinese people. No, this is this is your notice from JDO. You need to get your shit together, Chinese. These, those uh, internment camps for Muslim people, the Uyghurs. Hilarious name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> not, not okay. Not okay. And you know what? Me and Kelby, we're not going to stand for it. We are not going to stand not. for it. Um, so basically, he is doing some interesting things with. Uh, with kind of uh, race stuff, because one of our main characters in this movie is half black, although he kind of looks like the guy from Soul Man. So I don't know if he's really half black or not, but it kind of looked like some like a shoe polish situation to me. But um, I, I can't really say that definitively or not. But um, he is the child of a prostitute and a American GI, a black guy who actually lives like in a box nearby nearby him. 
they have a very strange relationship. That scene is so great when he introduces uh, Rico. No, Rico's the other chick. Um, Tamiko. Takiko. Tamiko. Takiko. No, you're right. Yeah, it's Kiko. Takiko. He introduces Takiko to his dad. He's like, this is my dad. And he just goes up to a box, and they're just like, hi, what's up? And then they move on. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And so so, uh, Miike loves to work with outsiders, right? This is um, the theme of almost any movie that he works on, right? The Yakuza, number one, are complete outcasts from society, as far as I understand. Like, if somebody sees those Yakuza tattoos, it's like a no-go. I know that um, this isn't Japan, this is Korea, but Rios loves Korean pop, so I know a lot of stuff about... Okay, it's me. It's me, right? I love BTS. I love 21. I just think that they're they're, they're great and cute. Um, Anyway, so I know that uh, some of these bands, like, they'll get tattoos and they blur tattoos out on TV and shit. Um, I think that's directly... Yeah, because they're related. Um, So, the other main character in Blues Harp is uh, a closeted gay man. And we know that he's gay because when... He is saved by... He's basically... The movie opens up with an almost dead or alive-esque montage sequence of violence and sex. And this was, uh, I think, one year before Dead or Alive. So it's kind of like... It felt like the dry run or the practice run for that iconic opening Dead or Alive sequence. But he's saved by Chuji because the gay guy, Kenji, hides in an alley. And the guys... You know, of course, the bad guys go into the alley and ask... Chuji, who's out there smoking a cigarette, like, have you seen anybody? And he says, no, I haven't seen anything. So they go back to his apartment, and Chuji is, for whatever reason, sleeping butt-ass naked, and there's just this long scene of Kenji just gazing longingly at his naked ass. So it's made clear, right? He's a, yeah. He's also, a every time he eats pussy, he brushes his teeth violently. Yeah, violently, I know, like... <laughs> Which, that shit was so funny to me. Just, like, him, like, whenever... Okay, we'll actually, we'll actually get to that, but there's some pretty funny stuff with that. Um, Kenji has a plan to become the head of his Yakuza organization. It's oddly similar, actually, to the plot in Agitator, um, which I thought was kind of cool from a recycling perspective. Something that you and I have talked about. Like, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you tell one of these stories. So, mm-hmm. the idea is for his Kenji is reluctantly sleeping with his Yakuza boss's mistress, and he is going to get her to change her her god, like the Yakuza boss's will, to name him as the successor, as his successor. Then he's going to hire some patsy. I'm not sure if that's the word for it, but I think it is some patsy to uh, to kill the Yakuza boss. And then somebody will kill the patsy, and then somebody will kill the other Yakuza boss, and they will link up, again, very similar to how it worked in Agitator, under a bigger kind of conglomerate or whatever. But it's a power play, right? Chuji, mm-hmm. on the other hand, uh, works at a bar and uh, meets a girl there, gets her pregnant, and... Uh, you know, there's like a lot of sequences of, you know, people playing music that I personally didn't really vibe with. I feel like I would have liked this movie a lot more if I actually liked the, the kind of music that they were playing. But um, 
so basically, Chuji gets chosen as the patsy by Kenji's also closeted uh, half-white second-in-command, right? Who's, like, jealous of uh, the fact that that Kenji wants to get with Chuji. Is this making sense? It is making sense. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. These movies are always so, like, like kind of overly complex, but it's really not the point, right? I mean, you know, you have a guy whose life is going well, and he's a drug dealer, right? Chuji does sell drugs on the side, and he basically gets selected for this suicide mission. Uh, and so there's, like, you know, differing loyalties. That's where that's the powder keg of all the all the drama. So I'll pretty much drop my my uh, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Not excerpt. Synopsis. That's the end of my synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, and this is I think the whole movie kind of felt like a testing ground for um, what would come the next few years to follow. You know, ninety nine to two thousand two at least, and uh. And then, you know, just sporadically after that. But, the like, 99 to 02 is my favorite Mike era. And um, this is, like, preceding that directly. And it feels a little bit like a practice run, like mm-hmm. you said, with the opening. And then there's different flourishes here and there that um, sort of, like, how the end is super jarring. The tone shifts, like all of a sudden when yeah. everybody meets up in the hallway it's like wait what the fuck now we were like mm-hmm. flying karate flips and shit um but uh yeah the music that that was an interesting um sort of way to keep the give the film a, a certain rhythm uh, it reminded me of Twin Peaks structurally not mm. really like mm. it's not weird like how the tavern is in Twin Peaks but um, it keeps coming back to this bar and showcasing different bands and uh, yeah I did I did dig the like the blues uh, shit at the very beginning that mm-hmm. was pretty cool like this Japanese blues singer um there's a nice a nice tone to that scene mm-hmm. and then uh the japanese rapper was kind of funny but in like a corny way so mm-hmm. yeah he was like all decked out in echo and like a pink uh what do you call those things like not a kangle it was a, a bucket hat bucket hat thank you yes yeah, yeah. he had the bucket <laughs> hat on that was that was really funny to me um but yeah no i think that this movie does do some very interesting things. We had mentioned on an earlier episode, I think the Dead or Alive episode, that one of Mike's strengths is in kind of the side characters that he will uh, basically um, make like this these whole stories about about them. So that initial singer for that band, um, his dad has a stroke. And he's kind of forced to take, not forced, but he chooses actually to take over his dad's tofu business. So he quits the band. Uh, And there's like some relatively long scenes of like with this guy and his son, completely tangential to the plot. But I kind of like that shit, you know? And I was thinking about from a writing perspective, you know, how kind of cool it would be to be, you know, writing a book. And then you just, for whatever reason, you spend 10 or 15 pages just telling the story of a of a minor character just because you kind of feel like telling it that seems cool to me 
Yeah, yeah. And if yeah, and if we're talking about craft with this, it's like so if you're writing this story, what happens next for Chuji, one of our main guys, he becomes the front man of that band mm-hmm. as as a as the harp player harmonica. I guess they call it a harp over mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But um he's the harmonica player that you know he, he becomes the new front man because his friend the bandmate is leaving and uh so you could have just had basically a, a meeting like that where the dude's like hey i got some family shit going on but people really fuck with your your blues playing like you should lead this band and then he dips off and it stays the spotlight stays focused on the main character and yeah that's I've always loved side characters and in my own shit that that's sort of like where I like to take a lot of it is like a, might have a narrator as a catalyst to just deliver all these different stories from these people on the periphery mm-hmm. um, cause I, it just makes the world feel more full I guess right and layered uh and it, it's just more interesting too. I think I, I, the shit that follows one main character, like um, say most action movies, it, an action movie for me, like John Wick does it for me. Uh, most Eastern uh, martial arts films do it for me, just because there's so much like like the choreography is the focus. Mm-hmm, yeah. But when you try to when you're trying to have like a story and you're just following one character I don't really care like I get kind of bored hanging out with that person you know (laughs) right right yeah you'll see this all the time in TV especially like The Wire you know you go to all different characters Breaking Bad you take time with all the different peripheral characters those are TV shows those have like 60 hours to tell their story Um, but it is interesting with the time constraint of it being about a two hour movie what stories you choose to tell in that two-hour frame. Agitator had this, too, because Agitator was three and a half hours, and he just decided to tell whosoever's story he he felt like telling at any given time. It seemed like there was this big kind of uh, glacial overarching story that was going on and then he would just, like, in the middle, he'd just kind of tell whoever's. Like, right now we're going to focus on the drunk uh, you know, tattoo guy, and then now we're going to focus on the kid who's, you know, been forced into the gang, and now we're going to focus on Kuniko, and the same thing in Blues Harp. I thought we were going to spend a lot more time with Kenji, um, but we really kind of don't. I mean, he's almost a peripheral character. We don't get a whole bunch of him, you know? It's just basically him having sex with the mob boss's wife and then, like, throwing up in the bathroom, which, again, hilarious. Those scenes were so funny <laughs> that he's like, like so grossed out, and it made me wonder: is that, is that actually? Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about it from a perspective of like, what if I had gay sex, right? Would I be so grossed out that I would be like throwing up? I mean, maybe, maybe if I was like in prison, and I really didn't want to. But I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if that would be the case for gay people either. I suppose gay people who've had sex with uh, gay men who've had sex with women would be able to answer this but that seemed like really uh, corny and over the top to me 
but it's also it's like a straight person's understanding of what it would be like you know what i mean like oh yeah, bro, yeah. if i if i had to if i had to bang a dude i would just be like throwing up and brushing my teeth and i was like <laughs> i don't know i think i'd just thug it out and keep it moving you know just be like okay well that happened well that's because you're a gay man that's i would be repulsed <laughs> and vomiting everywhere exorcist style <laughs> Uh, before I killed myself. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. No, I think actually, I think that that means that you're that you're more afraid of it than I am. So actually, it's you who is gay, not me. Um, yeah, I have these these strong closet emotions. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, so that shit's really funny, and um, and yeah, like the tonal shifts are really interesting. There's a scene where um, Chuji goes to see hit like another low level boss and they're kind of in this um i thought there was something wrong with the with the youtube video at first because it's kind of a strobe effect or kind of like a oh yeah you know it's like a really weird experimental scene where people kind of move weird it doesn't make any sense in the context but of course i love this shit i know you love this kind of shit too um of course in the tom mess book tom mess who who famously does not like the ending to dead or alive he sing he singles out this scene in particular as something that just doesn't fit inside of the the narrative of it and that is something that's an interesting tension with this with this dude that i don't quite understand i'm not sure how you can enjoy mike's movies and then simultaneously not enjoy just the, the wild swing for the fences you know techniques that he uses yeah, because if you take that shit out, I mean, what is he? A straight-to-video, you know, mm-hmm. Yakuza filmmaker? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it is that constant tension of, um, like, are you going to be raped? Is this going to be a cartoon? Yeah. And there's also just the random visual flourishes that don't necessarily make sense. Yeah. It's like this just seemed cool uh which i think is refreshing like i think it's great and it comes down like it it comes back to it being from a sincere place i think like Mm -hmm. i don't feel i feel like mike's ability to because the more i read about him the more i've like you've talked about you know your readings about him and stuff and just the way that he comes across is like he doesn't hold anything precious yeah but it's it's not like a but he has fun see the thing over it with americans most of the time like say we start if we're in the entertainment industry and we we're like i don't hold anything precious that's usually just because you're trying to pump these films out or these books or whatever Mm -hmm. and just cash out basically like it's money motivated for mike it's like it's fun motivated Mm -hmm. it's like i enjoy doing that i don't really give a fuck but it's just fun no that feels like uh, yeah that that just feels really um just really refreshing totally no i think that's really well said i think that um it also has to do with a sense when you're telling a story there are people who who feel as though a story should build towards a kind of climax 
in a way, it's a very masculine way of looking at things. Uh, Jane Allison, in her book, Meander, Spiral, Explode, she talks about story structure. I recommend this book to everybody because I think it's important. But she talks about how our typical structure, whether it's books, uh, TV, or film, you have rising action, you have a three-act structure, then you have the rising action, then there's a climax, and then there's kind of like what happened, like a very brief thing that happens after the climax, and then you're done. And she talks about that in terms of it being a very masculine way of telling a story, right? It's like sex, you know, a guy is trying to get laid, and then he works up to it, works up to it, and then he finally comes, and then it's over, right? But she suggests mm-hmm. that there are different ways of telling a story. There's, you know, you can meander, you can... I forget exactly what the the spiral pattern means. I'm going to have to read that again. But then there's the explosions, too, like just little explosions of things happening. And I think that Miike's movies do the meander. They do the meander. Uh, they probably do the spiral, if I could remember it. And they also explode. So it's this idea of, like, what if instead of a movie building up to something and having this, you know, you know, five minutes where shit gets crazy, what if the actual journey to the end was fun the whole way? And you never knew when you were going to get your your payoffs, your your dopamine hits, your candy. You see what I'm saying? Like it's just it's just a different way of, of approaching art, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of the uh, female perspective of sex. Yeah. Like I mean, I guess if you have a good partner, you know, then you're yeah. it could it could come in bursts. Um right. no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it? Yeah. Exactly. But, but yeah, no, yeah. so that's that's Mike's feminine quality. You know, he might uh mistreat his, his women characters, but um he's he's doing something very feminine with his method of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's it's also just kind of the American idea of, you know, getting enough bang for your buck. Um, we've talked about this before, how, you know, in America, there seems to be people either don't read or they read big, you know, 800-page George R.R. R. Martin epics. And that's because, you know, people who are a fan of something, they want the most of it that they can get, right? I mean, I know that this has to do with gaming Spotify algorithms, but that new like Migos album was way too long everything that Drake puts out is way too long uh, and it's this kind of uh, this maximalism that I think is okay um, but that is actually kind of overrepresented in the arts now it's not overrepresented in our culture because we have things like Twitter and, and what have you but um, I, you, we both really just we like the novella right we like the idea of 200 pages that you can kind of do whatever you want with and then end the book whenever you want and keep it moving um but if you look at i know my bad reviews uh probably yours too a lot of them are like where's the rest of the book you know it's like well no it's done i did what i wanted to and then i finished Um, yeah yeah mine frequently are um those sort of backhand positive review where it's like (laughs) they wanted more so it's like oh so you enjoyed your stay or whatever but then you felt ripped off or something it's like (laughs) I wanted more bitch it's over get over it (laughs) it's done exactly so anyway so I mean as far as Blues Heart goes in the context of Miike's filmography 
I, th- I, I really did enjoy uh, watching it just to kind of see, um, I mean, it's good, right? I mean, it's not like it's bad, but it kind of is fun to watch filmmakers working things out, and it almost makes me wish that people had, number one, the work ethic that he does, and number two, just kind of the ability to have little experimental movies where they try stuff out and you know and it's two hours of entertainment nothing substantial nothing earth shattering and they they have this playground to kind of work their shit out in you know yeah yeah and these these kind of movies are inspiring to me in that way you know if this is kind of like we emulate Mike in a lot of ways with his totally. work ethic and um, that's yeah sort of the idol I'd say him and Danny Brown like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. rapper those are my like my my dudes if I had like a, a wall of inspiration I'd tack their their picture to it mm-hmm. but uh, yeah that being willing to just you're, you're not shooting for your magnum opus each time you're not really even trying to make anything good I think that's counterproductive Mm. Um, I think you just go for it you just be willing to treat each one like your focus of the moment and uh, but be quick as possible to get through it for one and um, because inspiration like comes and goes so you gotta kinda Mm. catch that lightning in a bottle and just Mm -hmm. trust, trust whatever's in the bottle Yep. Um, and then just move on. You know, you you play around instead of uh, instead of rewriting draft after draft after draft. Just treat each project like a draft. Basically, <coughs> move on to the. It's like, well, this one's done. It's whatever. And all right, I'm on to the next one. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That, in a nutshell, I think is our pretty much our our ethos for how we how we make stuff. You know, and especially in the near future. You know, once these uh, these books that I'm doing are done, I kind of have a pretty strict, you know, 150 page limit for whatever I'm trying to do within the book. Um, and you know, I've just kind of have we talked about this on the show before? I'm not sure, but I've just kind about of, what you're doing. Yeah. No. No. Well, I'm just kind of like ripping off plots of old movies, taking those as starting points because I know that I'm not good at plotting. Um, it actually, this ties into me, okay, because I was trying to think, you know, he's both of our inspirations, but he's not a writer, you know, I don't think he's a, he has one writing credit for MPD Psycho, which is, a, a, again, I think not one of his best movies, but I don't think that I've seen that one. Um, uh, I, this is just what I've heard, that it's not one of his best. Anyway, point is, is that he works with writers, and as we talked about on, like, the Dead or Alive episode... Or, you know, or even Blues Harp or anything like that. You know, he kind of gets these scripts, and then as they're shooting it, he's making these creative decisions and changing things up and changing dialogue, changing things that happen, whatever. So I thought, hmm, from, like, a writing perspective, I see most of my skills as being stylistic in nature. Um, I think on, like, a a scene-by-scene basis, I think the books are entertaining. But I know for a fact that I'm not, not like, a plotter, you know? I'm I'm not good at that. So the answer to me seemed really simple, which was just like, I'll just lift plots with full credit, obviously. Like I'll put it in the book, you know, what what this book is like a takeoff on. Um, 
because I just need those kind of ready-made plots that are all set to go, or, and then I can do like what I want on them, you know, and make some interesting creative decisions in in the process. So, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how I link a filmmaker who's very different than a writer to to kind of what I'm doing. In addition to what you said, as far as you know, the just the whole creative angle goes. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of the you know the rapper versus the producer too. Like, there's a lot of rappers who make their own beats and shit, but most of them don't. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what I mean, what do you expect them to do? Like, you won't even make your own beats. Who the fuck cares? Like, you bring you're bringing what you have to offer to the table. Yeah, and uh, not. I think that's a great way to do it, um, because people, yeah, people just have those different strengths, and writing is always this, because you sit down and do it by yourself, you know, it's supposed to be this, uh, it all comes from you, and, but it doesn't all come from you at the end of the day anyways, because you're channeling, uh, even if you are better at plot, you got an idea based on other shit that you've seen before, or read, or... Mm -hmm. You know, your your grandfather who's great at telling these, you know, full arc stories or whatever, and or something that happened to you, you know, like, it, it's just different ways to filter the, uh, the intake of inspiration. It's just different tools to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big plotter. I don't even understand why people give a shit, like... Uh-huh. I when I just read something that is a uh, very plot driven and doesn't have much style to it, but even if it's like crazy shit going on, it it can't hold me if it doesn't have that style. Yeah, it's gotta it's gotta just be interesting on a page by page basis to read, which is I think why I give up on so many books get to these points where writers have to get through point A and B to get to point C and I've always just been like why can't we just start at point C it's that Kurt Vonnegut advice of start as close to the end as you possibly can and uh, again like that's not going to be for everybody but there's great news for those people which is that you know 99.9% of books do what they're looking for so you know I thought about that for a while too I was like damn maybe I should like work on my work on my chops, work on my plotting chops. And then I was like, eh, why? You know, if uh, if I live a full, happy life and I die when I'm in my 80s, that means I have 50 years to get good at stuff like that. But in the meantime, I'll just play to my strengths and, and go with that. I mean, somebody like, uh, somebody like Blake Butler is not out here trying to write a traditional crime thriller or a traditional really anything. Right, he's another big yeah, inspiration no. for me. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy who, uh, you know, is so him and people like Gary Shipley, they're really confident in in what they're there to do. I find that really inspiring too, because they take a lot of shit for it too. Um, with angry people, angry consumers, right, who aren't getting the things that they want, and it's like, well, those exist, and they continue to exist, and they will continue to exist. But, you know, Blake's doing something different. Gary's doing something different. We're doing something different. So, you can buy the ticket, take the ride, or not. It's up to you. 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Yuri Herrera is a great one too, yeah. that I've gotten into recently as somebody who uh, he actually is good at plotting, but he doesn't um, he doesn't world build. Right. And some of the shit is like, is this present day? Some things just seem kind of off. Like, yeah. Some of it seems like post apocalyptic, maybe, and then some of it just feels. Which is great to the tone, it's great to the experience, because um, that is one thing that books have up on any other kind of medium, is it's all in your head, so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you leave certain things out, then the reader is left to fill in the blanks, and there's all kinds of shit, it's like, yeah, I, I, I love that shit, the not building up a world having a world in your head that's like kind of different than this but Mm -hmm. not explaining that and then just seeing how people fill in the blanks yeah anybody who's interested there's a if you go back a few pages on the jdo show website i did a solo like 20 minute episode about signs preceding the end of the world one of your herrera's uh 100 page novellas and uh so if you're interested you can you can go listen to that, but you're you're dead right about somebody like him. Again, you know, people from Japan, a lot of the Ryu Murakami books that we get, uh, Murakami wrote the book Audition, um, but he also wrote uh, a book called Piercing, which is just about a new dad who stands over his baby's crib with a hypodermic needle at night and just, like, looks at the baby. Um, then there's In the Miso Soup, which is about a a Japanese guy who gives tourists uh, American tourists uh, like the time of their lives in Japan drinking and prostitutes and things like that and he he takes on a client who's like this big boisterous American who if I remember correctly is also like kind of made out of metal gets really weird Um, but then you go to South America also and a lot of the major South American writers right now are also novella writers you know their books don't go over 100 150 pages like you know samantha schweblin and uh, pola Alexarak. i'm probably mispronouncing that name but um roberto bolaño wrote mostly novellas with like he had 2666 and he had the savage detectives but the rest of them are pretty short and you know you mentioned the whole writing the magnum opus thing it's like i plan on doing that one day but but not now because uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not there. I, I have no idea how I would do that. I would have to, I feel like I'm going to have to write like a hundred novellas before I get get grips on what exactly a big novel for me would even look like, you know? Yeah, yeah and it has to be what the work wants to be. Like, I don't, because there's some great epics that are about like, nothing that are about a dude playing chess and then there's ones that span centuries and and dimensions and shit and it's just like it has to be what the work wants to be i think mm-hmm. yeah exactly 2666 is like it's basically five novellas mushed together so it's almost not fair to even you know call that call that a book the savage detectives is like um what do you call those um Lucas told us this. It's like a work or something. Uh, it's something that pulp writers used to do where they take all their old novellas and, and mash them up together. Jack Vance would do this all the time. What the fuck is the name of that thing? Not a cut-up. A, a work. I think it's a work. I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And uh, that's what The Savage Detectives is. I mean, if you read Amulet, there's a, 
I don't think there's anything of like by night and chilly from it, but I remember specifically reading Amulet and being like, Oh, pretty much all of this is in the Savage Detectives, you know? Like he just kind of took a lot of stuff and kind of copy pasted it together. Which by the way I think is dope and badass. You should totally be allowed to do stuff like that. One thing that um that I was thinking about actually while we were talking, because you know last episode we took uh old Sean Conroe to the woodshed over appropriating Sam Pink's uh, style and you know I just kind of copped to the fact that I'm completely lifting plots from different places is that different? is there a difference there? I don't know that's completely different mm-hmm. in my opinion because Kel- we're Kelby's, like, about... Kelby's like this motherfucker's doing devil's advocate again and, <laughs> yeah. I'm, and, I'm, a, and I'm about to fucking lose it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I was talking about that the other day about the whole devil's advocate thing, and I was like, why did why do people want to defend the devil so much? But you know, it's the devil. Quit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> not style, but plot. I mean, allegedly, I don't I don't want to agree with these people, but allegedly, there's only seven different types of stories you can tell, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, plot is always lifted um, from somewhere. Uh, wasn't it like no it wasn't Yojimbo but Star Wars ripped off of some samurai movie I think Uh, it was uh, uh, no you're right it's like the Hidden Fortress I think was the one that Star Wars ripped off I want to say but let's say so after um, Reservoir Dogs you had a lot of people doing this like we're gonna talk about nothing which uh, they did while while we're on our way to kill somebody or do whatever Mm -hmm. um and that's that's an element but if you were to take every like the with that specific situation is just how blatant it was to yeah. me like right, right. it'd be it'd be a debate if the dude didn't confess that he was ripping him off you know yeah because even if i was standing outside and he had never if there weren't those emails as receipts and i was just looking at it i'd be like sam how is this ripping you off the shit is garbage like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's talking like one of your characters his narrator sounds like your spider-man character mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. but um but the style ain't the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that... I think I see that as a personal um, situation. Well, and it's also like, if people are ripping off Quentin Tarantino, which they did a lot, Quentin Tarantino is still Quentin Tarantino. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino got the clout, he got to keep making his movies. Uh, you know, the fact that Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels exists... And all the other sundry ripoffs. Holy shit, that's a big fucking tarantula. I mean, damn, that's a tarantula. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. That's a, there's some big ass spiders out here, bro. Uh, not that I'm afraid of them. It's it's just a little. It's kind of shocking. Um, that is a big motherfucker. Holy shit, is that even a fucking tarantula, or is that just a big brown recluse? Ooh boy, if that thing bites me, I'm going to the hospital. Um, Nah, I'm just kidding. I would just, I would do a Wim Hof and, you know, force the toxins out of my body. Um, uh-huh. You just it, gotta beat off 
Like you yeah. ejaculate every all the poison leaves your body when you when you There we it. go. There we go. But so, you know, I mean all like Lockstock and Snatch and stuff didn't take away from the fact that pulp fiction existed. And I think uh yeah, there's the blatant aspect of the steel, but it is also it does have to do with position again, you know? I mean you can't take that away from the whole like what makes the situation I think to my mind so egregious is that it would be like if Quentin Tarantino had written uh, you know his big giant script for you know true romance and pulp fiction and what else was it I think Reservoir Dogs right I think they were all one script at one point which is why like Mr. like Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction is actually Michael Madsen's character the guy who cuts the ear off in Reservoir Dogs like they're brothers I think yeah um, yeah because he wrote that all as one big script so like if he had you know if that script had been out there and then all of a sudden mysteriously you see all these different movies coming out that had elements of uh just so you know rios there's a an enormous spider out here that's, that's walking around yeah just so you know just just let i'm not i'm not scared of it i'm just letting you know that that it's out here it's a big boy it was right there i don't know Wait, let me see on, on your back real fast. <laughs> Just play. <laughs> can I hold Gus? Yeah, I can hold Gus. No, we're good. We're good. This is how the podcast goes. I won't get attacked by a spider. I won't get attacked by a spider. That spider right there. Yeah. Uh, I think it might actually be a giant brown recluse, yeah. Which is weird because they're supposed to be reclusive, but who knows. <laughs> The baby comes out, and then so do the dad jokes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, Blue's Heart, out of out of ten, what do you what do you give this movie? Uh, I'd say a six. A six, actually, yeah, man. Eventually, we're gonna disagree about something, but I'd probably put this at about a six as well. Um, which I hear all the time on Perfume Nationalists, like people who rate movies are idiots or whatever. Like, why would you? But I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I think it's like, God damn, there's another spider out here, bro. What the fuck? All right, we're going to have to wrap this up because I'm going to have to be brave uh, by myself. Off the, <laughs> off, off the mic. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, go do that brave. We don't want PETA coming after us, so yeah, uh, yeah. whatever kind of brave shit you got to do off yeah. record, no, you got to yeah. do. <laughs> I, have to be, I have to be super. Man, all of this has been... I've been joking on this episode about being scared of bugs. I'm not actually scared of bugs. Um, I'm, I'm totally cool. Huh, buddy. I got Gus here. You want to say something for the podcast? You want to say the What's F slur like Uncle Kelby? You want to say the F slur like Uncle Kelby? You no? can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I guess just start uh, phonetically sounding out words to, <laughs> to go. I'm just like put them on the phone. Yeah, we're we're what, gonna learn. What are you gonna do? Don't don't worry about it. Take me off the speaker. Just put us <laughs> on the phone. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool when uh when Gus and Rowan get to get to play and shit. That'll be fun. We'll have to like go to a lake or something. Hell yeah, yeah. We ought to road trip out to some kind of lake or something. Mm-hmm. Well, nice family barbecue. That'll do it for episode six of Agitator. Thanks everybody for listening. Subscribe to our Patreon. No, just kidding. We don't have a Patreon yet. Um, no, I'm just playing. All right, bye.